uh, I became a Christian when I was in my late teens. Andrew, I'll tell you how old I am later on. And um, up until that point, I used to think of the Christian faith as being a bit like um, a sort of large bowl of Brussels sprouts. Um, I was fairly convinced uh, that it would be good for you, but it just sounded like a thoroughly unpleasant experience. Uh, We're thinking this evening about this question, Christianity, freedom or captivity? And if you're here tonight as a guest, or you're not yet a Christian, then I wonder if this is somewhere in the background of your thinking. Do I really want to be a Christian? Uh, Would it mean signing my life away? That's certainly where I used to be coming from. I had the impression that to be a Christian was to go around with a list of thou shalt nots. Rules designed to limit your experience and your options. I knew people who called themselves Christians or saw them on TV who always seemed to have something to grumble about. And for me as I grew up, going to church on Sunday Uh, was something to endure and seldom to enjoy. Uh, Christianity, freedom or captivity, I I knew which I would have gone for. And perhaps you're the same. Christianity seems like a a straitjacket. Perhaps that's because we don't like the idea of someone telling us what to think and do. Uh, The author Philip Pullman makes the point when he says this, that the rank stench of oppression wafts from every place of worship where the priests have the power to meddle in the social and intellectual lives of their flocks. I decide. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. That's the way we think, isn't it? And so to have to acknowledge God, to have to listen to him, even to have to obey him, it doesn't appeal. Or perhaps Christianity seems like captivity because we don't want to miss out on all the fun, uh, the good life. We want to be free to pursue the things that will make us happy or what we think will make us happy. Uh, That might be money. Uh, We want it, uh, lots of it. And when we've got it, we want to keep it or spend it. Uh, We don't want to have to be generous with it or, or to give it away. Uh, Maybe it's sex. Uh, We want lots of that too. Uh, Hollywood style, perfect sex, with as many people as possible. Uh, We don't want monogamy. Maybe it's our time. Uh, It's our time. Uh, We don't want to take it up. We don't want to take up our weekends or or our spare hours with with Christian activity. Uh, We can do without the pressure. Note that none of this is to think about whether Christianity is true or not. But you see, many people falter at the different hurdle of whether or not Christianity is desirable. I can think of several people that I've met over the years who were convinced that the Christian message is true. They knew that Jesus was God on earth. They they understood that he died on the cross for us, that he rose from the dead but still they were not Christians. And they did not become Christians because they were unwilling to follow Jesus. Uh, They wouldn't trust him. And what was their reason? They thought that life would be better without him. Uh, We want freedom. And for some that means full autonomy. 
As the philosopher John Stuart Mill said, the only freedom which deserves the name is that of pursuing our own good in our own way. And if we want that, well then certainly there's no room for God in the picture. We won't want God in the picture. I'm sure you heard about the bus poster campaign that was funded by the British Humanist Society. There was such a load of fuss about it. And you may remember their slogan, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy life. Maybe you've actually seen one, I I never have. But what I find interesting is not their statement that there's no God. I would expect an atheist to say that. I find it slightly interesting they put a probably in, but... No, it's what's implicit behind the other sentence that I find interesting. Now stop worrying and enjoy life. In other words, if God did exist, then that would be bad. We'd have to worry. There would be no joy. It's Christianity as captivity. Christianity the straitjacket all over again. Of course, the irony is that if you ask them what Christianity is then their response is that it's a sort of psychological crutch. It's a nice fairy tale. It's wishful thinking. I'm sure you've heard people say that. Perhaps you even think it. But now, come on, it can't be both. It can't be this awful, oppressive idea, on the one hand, and yet also this wonderful idea, the product of wishful thinking, a projection of our heart's longings on the other. But anyway, here's the tension for us. A Christianity, even if true... It may seem undesirable to us. Does being a Christian bring freedom or captivity? Because freedom is what we want. And yet is it? Is freedom really the ultimate goal? What would life look like if we were completely free? Free from all responsibility, free from all demands on us, free from all constraints. The only way to be free like that would actually be to free ourselves from all ties, uh, all relationships. If I want total freedom, then I need to distance myself from everyone else. Uh, You might know the Simon and Garfunkel song that goes like this. Uh, I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. It it ends. uh, And a rock feels no pain. And an island never cries. But of course they never do anything else either. A total freedom from others, total freedom from God, is actually not to live at all. I guess that many of us, when we picture uh, freedom, think of uh, something like the the idyllic summer holiday, uh, a sun-kissed beach on a Pacific island, uh, the gentle lapping of the waves on the shore with our our mobile phone and busy diary uh, firmly 5,000 miles away. Uh, It sounds great, doesn't it? And yet, none of us, I presume, would want to be marooned on that desert island uh, with that freedom now permanent. Oh, the beaches would be the same, Uh, the waves would lap gently at the shore, but now we would be scanning the horizon, desperately hoping for a ship to come into view, and that distant mobile phone 
would prey on our minds and drive us mad if only we had it. Although I struggle to get reception in the peaks, let alone the Pacific. Uh, The truth is that all of us long for things which actually will limit our freedom and yet which release us to enjoy life. Uh, We're not as free as we think we are and nor do we want to be. Uh, Take relationships, take love as an example. I've been married to my wife Helen for nine and a bit years now and aside from my being a Christian, it is the most important and fulfilling and defining relationship of my life. I love her, I love spending time with her and knowing her changes and shapes me. Does being a husband limit my freedom? Yes, in lots of ways. It brings huge demands and constraints and responsibilities. It affects every day and every decision. And yet, being married isn't a limitation. It's great. It's part of who I am. The writer C.S. Lewis wrote this, If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. You see, with love, uh, giving up our freedom actually can release us to live life to the full. It's also true that giving up our freedom can release us to fulfil our potential. Uh, Just think of the athlete, uh, a marathon runner perhaps. Uh, I've got a few friends who've uh, run the London Marathon, uh, sort of from scratch. They, They weren't regular runners beforehand. Uh, Well, the preparations start about six months beforehand. Uh, Three mile runs for a week, then it's up to five, then ten. Uh, For the last month, you're running an average of over two hours a day. In total, you end up running about 300 miles to prepare for the 26. And then you've got to factor in, after you've done it, uh, the three weeks you're going to have to spend in the bath just to recover. Uh, All of it is a huge restriction on your freedom. And yet the result is that you can do something that you would never have done before. Is it worth it? That's the question. Or or take the person who's keen to get on in life, uh, to move up the property ladder, to to make a mint. Uh, What will it mean for them? What will they put up with? Well, it might mean hard study, long hours, a long commute uh, for year after year after year and you get the dream house, and you visit that Pacific island, but decades later, you look back and you realise that you weren't there to see your children grow up, or that your marriage suffered as your bank balance prospered. And the question comes again, was it worth it? The choice that we face in this life is not between freedom or captivity. No, every decision that we make limits our freedom, introduces boundaries. The issue is whether or not those limitations enhance life or limit life. We're not as free as we think we are and sadly it is easy to go through life in the pursuit of this freedom 
only to find too late that we have been, that we have been slaves all along. I wonder if you noticed that in our first uh, reading from John chapter 8. Uh, do have a look at it on the inside of the service sheet with me. Uh, this group of people that uh, Jesus was talking with, it, it starts out with Jesus offering them freedom. Do you see there in verse 31? Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But freedom is exactly the thing that they think that they've already got. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? They're saying, hey, God's on our side. Why would we need anything from you, Jesus? That's a pretty common view today too in the people that I meet. We think that life's okay and that God, if he's there, would give us the thumbs up. But look at Jesus' answer to them. It is that they are not as free as they think. Verse 34, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Every decision we make limits our freedom. But the biggest is when we choose to sin. Uh, What is sin? Uh, What is that choice? It's when we turn our backs on God. It's when we say that we want autonomy. We want to be in charge. We want to call the shots in life. We, we don't want God in the picture. For different people, that will show itself in different ways. Some will be notorious and do things that at times even they are ashamed of. Others will be very upright and outwardly good. And yet at heart, the same rejection of God is going on. It sounds so appealing uh, to get rid of God to stop worrying and enjoy life. And yet freedom from God is being marooned in life. Cut off from the only one who can give joy and meaning and purpose. It leads to slavery. In verse 35 there, Jesus describes it as not belonging. Like a slave who has no permanent place in the family. Isn't it a terrible feeling when you know that you don't belong somewhere or or anywhere when you're out of place? It's one of the things that's hardest about when we move where we live. It's just the time it takes to feel at home again. Well, Jesus says that when we turn from God, we are no longer at home in his world. No longer at home in life. There's something missing. What we thought was freedom has actually brought emptiness And as Romans 6, the other reading picks up, death, the wages of sin is death. Death, uh, being cut off from everything, that really is the the fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. Those Simon and Garfunkel lyrics again. And when the Bible speaks of death like that, it doesn't just mean the moment of the end of our life here on earth. Uh, No, it means the ongoing and eternal cutting off from God and all that is good that the Bible describes as hell. That's what our sin has earned us. That's where it leaves us. Freedom from God is no freedom at all. It is death. It's the freedom of the goldfish that manages to leap out of its tank. I'm free of the water at last, it thinks. And it enjoys it for a brief moment. But not long. 
this sin, this turning from God, it's what we've all done. It's part of the human condition. And it denies us true life. It leads to us not belonging in God's world and facing death, judgment and hell. And yet here Jesus offers us true freedom. See verse 36 of John 8. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. This is the freedom that we long for. This is the the freedom that releases us to fulfil our potential, to, to be the people God made us to be, to enjoy life as he made it to be, to enjoy that life forever, not even held captive by death, but free even from its constraints. And how do we get this life? How do we get this freedom? We'll see the end of the other reading. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't do anything to get it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Instead, it is a gift to us from God through Jesus. Because Jesus has dealt with our sin and the slavery and death that it brings. That is what his death on the cross is all about. It is why it's at the centre of what we believe. On the cross, Jesus took our sin and its effects onto himself and he dealt with them in full. Oh, we sang about this earlier on in the, the song just above those readings. Let's have a look at the, the second verse there. When our every unclean thought and every sinful deed was scourged upon his back and hammered through his feet, the innocent is cursed, the guilty are released. The punishment of God on God has brought me peace. On the cross, God directed his anger at our sin onto Jesus so that he has paid the price for us uh, where we deserve to be cut off from God, no longer belonging with him. Instead, it was Jesus who cried out when he died, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took our place. He did it for us. And now he calls on us to trust him, to follow him, to look to him for this rescue and to place our lives in his hands. That's all it is to be a Christian. To look to Jesus for this rescue and to place our lives in his hands. Does that limit our freedom? In one sense, yes it does. In the same way that the goldfish who stays in the tank limits his freedom. In Romans 6, uh, being a Christian is described as being set free from sin and yet becoming a slave of God. And yet now to follow Jesus, to be a slave of God is to release us into true and eternal life to the full. The life that we were designed for. It is to enjoy the deepest of relationships with this God who made us and who loves us and who has died for us and who wants the best for us. So that to obey him is to do that which is best and most fulfilling and which brings greatest joy. Christianity, freedom or captivity. I was joking with Andrew earlier this week. I told him that was my title. And then I said that I was going to plump for freedom. Freedom. 
Uh, But do you know what? It's both. To be a Christian is to be captivated by Jesus. Wanting above all to know him and to follow him. To be a Christian is to be held captive by God, but by a loving and kind God whose every command to us leads us deeper and deeper into true and joyful life. And so to be a Christian is to know true freedom. Freed from the slavery and death which our sin leaves us in. Freed from not belonging in God's world and free to realise our potential as his people. And all we need to do is to look to Jesus for the rescue that his death provides and to place our lives in his hands. Now, just as I finish, let me ask, have you done that? Perhaps you're here tonight and you are persuaded about the truth of Christianity. You understand this offer that Jesus' death on the cross brings and yet still you've never turned to him, never trusted him. Never ask him to be your Lord and God. Now, this might be your first time with us at Christchurch. You might have been coming for a long while, but still something has been holding you back. You've been sitting on the fence, uh, not ready to trust Jesus with your life. But perhaps for a few tonight, now you are ready. Now, if so, I'd like to give you a chance to do that now. I'm going to pray A prayer thanking Jesus for what he's done, asking him to set us free, and pledging to follow him in our lives. I'm going to pray it sort of line at a time, and so if it's appropriate for you, then you can echo the words in your hearts as we pray to God together. If this isn't right for you at the moment, then please just bear with us for a moment. But let me invite us to pray together. Let's pray.